Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery. With me, as ever, Roger Hart. Good evening. Lucy Boys. Your tongue's gone weird. Thank you. What kind of weird? Well, knobbly. Probably from all the salt. Probably from all the salt. Mm, we're, my buds are popping. Yeah. We're, we're, we're eating Spanish corn and drinking, a, drinking English wine, and we've possibly got that the wrong way around. It does seem odd. Is the English corn any good? I doubt it. I doubt it. Um... But this this wine, uh, mm. it's interesting, isn't it? It's so it's an English red. Yes, and it's not as terrible as you'd think. It's saltier than I expected. It is, it is on the saline side. Yeah, and it's got a colour of sort of kind of angry Ribena. Yeah, like Ribena, but not Ribena the substance, like the liquid that would come out if you killed one of the cartoon Ribena berries from the advert. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's forensic Ribena. Yeah. As just, a child, I was terribly jealous of my parents for getting to drink large glasses of what looked like Ribena all night. Wasn't so. It wasn't, no. It wasn't so. Did the Ribena make them giggly? No. No. <laughs> Did it make them sad? Wouldn't like to guess. Old style hats and coats. So talk, talk us through the taste profile of... of so this is, um, I picked this up at the, uh, the beer festival. This is a Bolney Estate Lichgate Red 2014. Sorry, um, it's a what now? Bolney Estate Lichgate Red. Right, so as in Leish, as in, you know, Necromancer Return yes, to Life. Yes, um, reanimated Necromancer. I knew I recognised the taste. Yes, yes. Um, there's a little bit of dark things from the outer space. Um, you can really taste the Necromancer in the soil, can't you? Yeah, hissing between the moments. That's kind of on the bouquet. Mm. And the, the, the nameless chittering. Did you get that on the back of the tongue? Um, I would if the back of my tongue were still intact. Mm. The front is just free floating. That'll, that'll be the claws. Mm. No, um, it's actually... It, I've had some genuinely appalling English reds, and this is much, much better. It's still a bit harsh. Um, it, it needs a bit of air and maybe a couple of years and maybe some different grapes. But... Um, Maybe it should be a different wine, Roger. Ideally a slightly different wine. No, it, it's got mm. a lot of berries, it's got quite a bit of acid, it's not terrible. It's not really drinkable either, like it's not comedy bad, but it is a bad wine. I think there's something in the middle. I think kind of, it's got a little bit of structure and I think mm, I can see the eye stalk poking out yeah. from here. <laughs> I think there's, there's something in the middle that's actually quite promising. Is it whispering nameless secrets into your ear? Well, also... Lucy, what have you been reading? I'm certainly been drinking that thing. Just want to make that clear. There's no ghosts inside me. Okay. my own! <laughs> Lucy is haunted by nothing... Nothing more out of the ordinary than simple regret. Precisely. So, um... On the theme, really. On the theme that we've been exploring so far. This week I've been reading... Uh, Harrow County, the first two volumes. Excellent. Which, uh, first of which Roger has talked about previously on the show. It's countless haints. Shuffling marvellous. Mm-hmm. I tried to count those haints, they were countless. Indeed, many. Fulsome. Uh, this is uh, by Tyler Crook and Cullen Bunn. Yeah. Who sounds like a sort of off brand Bronte sister pen name or something you might buy in a Greg's in the North. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I don't have a problem with it. I just always nearly get the consonants wrong. Yeah, my eyes kind of skip over it, and I keep wanting to pronounce it different. Yeah, but that's okay. Um, it's great. It's it's genuinely scary and creepy and unsettling in a way that I don't find a lot of stuff, especially print work. So remind us of the sort of central premise. So, um, Harrow County is sort of vague early 20th century southern gothic type location as you would expect it's damp and it's rural kids yes sir and, oh um, those furry willow things and there's a girl and she's just about to turn 18 and there's a big creepy tree that gives her nightmares outside and a wood full of weird stuff including a boy who is just a suit of skin who whispers mm. things to her um you know, their, their livestock ain't going well. They, they're born and then they die and they might be sort of cursed, so they all go mm. back in the ground. 
Um, and there are whisperings that there's something wrong with her. And are they sure there's not anything wrong with her because she's 18 and it's about time? And the town has secrets. The town has a lot of secrets. And a lot of haints. Cats. Which, in case it wasn't clear, is a sort of cutesy rural term for ghosts. I particularly liked these sort of flame skeletons. Mm. They were just really, really good. fucking amazing illustration for those things. Mm. Did you, he, um, he released a short YouTube video of some of his process. It's oh. one of the spreads of her walking through the woodland. A big two-pager. Mm. And just the way it's built up, the level of detail. It, it's gorgeous. It's, um... It's watercolour. It's watercolour. There's a bit in the back of the first volume that basically says, this is watercolour. If I fuck it up, I don't get to go back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I was, I was very, very impressed with the art. I really liked the style. It's one of the few collected volumes where I've given the sort of art and process sketches in the back more than a cursory glance. I sort of read them as intently as I read the book. Mm. It's so rich. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's good. Like, you get a lot in the first one as well. You get the short story that eventually became the comic, and you can see yes. sort of how that changed. I'm from... so glad she's not called Madrigal anymore. Yeah. yeah. As a as a chorister, that must have weighed heavily on you. Well, it's more. It's the sort of thing that had I known the word Madrigal when I was fourteen, I would have definitely used it as a name for a character in a short story. And they would have been fucking Draco Malfoy. Yes. Inevitably. Inevitably. So I mean, we only. We've both read volume one. Where does volume two go? So, end of volume one, you'll remember there's the sort of fancy-looking city girl who also looks just like her. Yeah, this is, a little bit older. Yeah, this is picked up on in yeah. two. So, this is your sort of... It's their take on your kind of classic evil twin story. Right. Um, and I'm not going to spoil the end for you, but it's it's sort of more of the same. I mean, one thing, one thing that I enjoyed a lot was... Um, I hadn't twigged initially that it was going to be an ongoing narrative about the same class of characters. I wondered if it was going to sort of jump around the county mm. or something. It looks. It certainly looks that way. Like it's gonna, like certainly with her running off and then she comes back and's like, right, no, you fuckers, mm. let's talk about this. But no, I mean, I also I love the sort of the kind of insane ramp up in the middle of the first one through something's not quite right to fuck everything's gone completely wrong and then to everyone, you know, we're probably going to die and then to. Do you know what? Actually, we're not really happy about this, but we can live with it. And then there's that kind of the little, the other mini ramp up, the sort of not exactly twist, but the the thing with the guy. He's not a dentist, doctor or yes. something. And then when we discover a bit more backstory, mm. and it gets a bit weirder and a bit mm. more significant. I mean, the, the, also the sort of the depth of the weirdness and the occult stuff is really really pleasant. It's not just sort of spooky on the surface. Like it goes quite a lot of layers deep in terms of the kind of construction of the town the people in the setting and that I think will be kind of fertile soil for future mm. payoffs. I love the monster in the woods. Mm. Does it does it reappear? Oh yes, no, there's a lot of that. In this is it one. still sulking? I love that yes, there's a no, giant a horrifying thing and it's petulant as fuck. But you get a good character out for that guy in this one. So if, can, you, if you like that guy, pick up numbers. In the first one I kind of thought it was gonna be a fake out, it was gonna to turn to be and he was gonna turn out to be sort of adorable and lovely like a, a kind of household mm. pet. And I liked the fact that he was he may still be, but in the, but at the end of the first one he's a giant fucking goat demon who's really angry. Yeah. I think you can probably identify with that. I think we all can, deep mm. down. My rectangular irises mm. certainly allow me to empathize. So you have you've you've sort of covered what we're going to go on to later. Yes. But that's that's sort of it that's for you. That's it for me. Heart. Sorry, just sorry. Can I just on on Harrow County Volume Two, the the sort of twentiesy version of the protagonist. Yes. So, does that mean we get a sort of jazz agey setting, or does it pull back to the county? Or it pulls back to the county. So this is uh, my my thought when I first saw that reveal was like, well, we've had a load of Southern Gothic, and oh look, it's the Jazz Age. This book has everything Roger likes in it. Um, <laughs> it did, you know. Every now and then, something comes along, and you feel like they made it just for you. Yes. Yeah, it's it's uh, like that chicken liver dish that I like to eat in a little place in Soho that just kind of feels like they they got Otto Lenghi to design something for I'm me. I'm not sure at this point. It's, I'm not here for awful. It's fine. That's like uh, the opposite of what I like. He likes to eat a lot of innards. Yeah, he really does. Mm. Some outers too. Yeah. But no, I, I was just yeah. No, I mean I had I had a very similar feeling. This is one of the best sort of most for me things that I've read in a very mm. long time. I, I got that not maybe not quite as strong as the wet moon, mm. but oh, I know. <laughs> it's so good. I know. We love Sophie Campbell. We do. 
they've just started reissuing it as well in lovely trade paperbacks for anyone who thought they might want to pick it up. Really yeah. nice new editions. Y'all should buy the shit out of that. It's great. It's just it's just a lovely thing with real people. Yes, the most some I mean, of even the most real people, but also a bunch of weird, yeah. creepy occult shit. Even when they're deeply unreal, they are personally very real. Mm. It's I, I know that's a bullshit sentence, but like her oddballs are plausible person oddballs. Yeah. Clearly, it's a. You saw gothic loving fox. It's true. Sorry. <sighs> Southern gothic though. It's pretty fucking great. I love Southern Gothic. I even went to see that terrible movie, the one with Jeremy Irons in it. Right, like the, why would like, you do that? Like the, you know, the Southern, the Southern Gothic Twilight competitor. I think it was called something like Beautiful... Beautiful Creatures? Beautiful Creatures. Something like that. It's based on a series of young adult books, and it's about like witches and coming-of-age shit, and the gender politics were proper fucked, and Jeremy Irons plays an evil wizard that's trying to be a good wizard because his daughter wants him to or something. Whereas in real life, he's just an evil wizard. Yeah, he's just yeah, yeah, he's an absolute... He's not even a wizard, he's just a bell end. Mm. But he's got a great staircase in this. Good. That counts for a lot, the sort of home interiors, he's wizard. A, he's an evil wizard with a great interior designer. Well, I mean, you do, you wouldn't want to be like an evil wizard and live in a fucking bungalow, would you? Hey, there's nothing wrong with a bungalow. I've lived in a bungalow. There is for evil wizards. Uh, like, you, <laughs> nothing says I serve the dark powers like Pebble Dash. You really need a tower. You do need a tower. You can put a tower in a bungalow. It's not bungalow then, is it? It's bungalow. If it's got stairs, <laughs> it's bungalow. What is what it is. If it doesn't have stairs, what if you levitate up there? Yeah, what if the tower has a, has a chair list? It's a like, Wizards can get quite old. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I should stop him and... I don't mean making that noise, I mean like all together, clifftop sword fight, you sort of stopping. I know. But it's how we're going to end, right? It's not going to be anything quite as sexy as the Reichenbach Falls. It'll just be just tussling on a small hillock. Falling off your own chairlift. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been reading? Well, probably some books, I don't know. You genuinely don't know, do you? <laughs> That's okay, it's never been an impediment to doing the podcast. You walked in here carrying one of them. Oh, do be quiet. I'm having a very trying time. So, I've been reading, um, not, not, not a great deal this week. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Barefoot again. I think it's Gen, not Jen. I think it's Gen. Gen, not Gen. Gen would make sense for the, the Japanese-ness. Yes. So this is um, Keiji or Keiji, Keiji uh, Nakazawa's reminiscence of Hiroshima. Yes, I really want to read this. I think it is. Keep talking. Amazing, and strange, and I don't. I don't really know how to. Up front, you just need to get out of the way the, the fact that it, it, it's about fucking Hiroshima. So, um, Na- Nakazawa is himself a Hiroshima survivor, and this is a medium to heavily fictionalised account of his childhood leading up to and in the aftermath. Many of the details are the same, but he's, um, he's added some siblings, he's added some details. So, again, is his sort of avatar, but he's changed him up a bit. Uh, and... Hiroshima is fucking horrible. Yes. And that, that thing was not a, good a thing great to have done. thing. Did um, you, um, have you read the New Yorker that they did a year after? They were sort of reissuing it no, recently. It's, you should, it's really interesting. The, um, there was a monk, a sort of German monk, who went back to his, or a missionary rather, who went back to his mission house and found that all of the squash and pumpkins had cooked in the ground, so they ate them. That's very odd. Yeah, they survived. Yeah, I mean, they were really fucking hungry. There wasn't a lot going. Yeah, well, that's one of the major motifs in this. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of... It's hard to explain what's so affecting about it, but I'm going to have a go. And I guess the spoilers for this are that I cried my eyes out at the end of the first volume. Oh, boy. Um... And I welled up a little bit in bits of the second. It's six volumes. The first volume is leading up to and then immediately after the dropping of the bomb. 
And the second volume is notionally the day after. It's about a week after, but it's, it's immediate aftermath. And it's the story of Gen and his family. His, um, his dad's a traditional sandal maker. There's his mum who's pregnant with another child, sister and another brother. Oh, and he's got an elder brother who um, eventually ends up signing up to join the Navy, I think, possibly the Air Force. Uh, Dad's a pacifist as opposed to the war. The whole thing has one of the remarks, uh, Art Spiegelman wrote the introduction, and one of the remarks mm. he makes is that maybe it was a little bit politically over-sanitized in that the perspective taken by the father and the implicit perspective from a lot of the comic is not merely massively sort of anti-nuclear, but it's, it's also massively anti-war and massively sympathetic to the narrative that suggests that evil hegemonic interests pushed Japan into the war that the country was run by corrupt assholes and mm. they were all massively at fault and the populace were manipulated. All of that kind of... Um, it's made very black and white. It's made very... It takes something that would be very sympathetic to a, West, a contemporary Western perspective. Like if yes. That's pu- how we want them to feel, having done that to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's... Um, and then Sorry, puts, chaps, no choice here. And then puts That's anti-war characters at the forefront mm-hmm. and shows how fucked over they get by a heavily militarised populace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that sense, it's not very nuanced, except one imagines that if you were quite strikingly anti-war at the time, actually you would have had a shitty experience. Like, so, mm-hmm. so against family, um, everyone's going hungry, rationing, wartime austerity, what have you, and they just get treated really, really poorly as they are shunned by the community for being the children of traitors. And so they're getting hungrier and hungrier and things are getting more and more stark and the kids are being bullied and picked on by people and the dad gets arrested and beaten up a few times. But this is all, and this is all before everything goes to proper shit. Mm-hmm. Their lives are just slowly degenerating. And, uh, and yet there's this thing... It, this kind of childhood capers thing running through it. So it's got it's got a few really distinctive strands. One is obviously the the, the the thing that makes it work when the entire town burns, when everything goes horribly wrong, is that these are real lives and you feel it completely because mm. you have been with them on this journey. That set against the air raids and the bombings and the austerity of wartime, you have this family living a very real, very plausible life. Even with the sort of cartoonishness of, of quite a lot of the manga brushstrokes, like the sort of occasional hyperviolence and, mm. and cartoonishness, Gen gets into scrapes with the local kids. He blags things. It's all a bit Beano, actually. Like Gen's life is sort of think the thing that there, there's, a, there's a micro. It's sort of little nested micro stories. One of the things that means the, the absolute most to him is buying is is his youngest brother won't be allowed to be the other nearby boys won't let him play with a little miniature sailboat. Mm. So Gen goes out of his way to go and get his younger brother a model sailboat. But the thing he uses to do this is to persuade a nearby shopkeeper to give him his, which he won't because it's his last memory of his son who died in a naval attack. And the way Gen does this is because everyone's starving, um, breaking people's windows because the guy, sorry, the guy's not a shopkeeper, he's a glazier, breaking mm-hmm. people's windows because the guy's a glazier and so needs the work and these, all these kind of weird interleaved, um, like, there's a bunch Unintended of... Ch- consequences yeah. type stuff. There's a bunch of childhood caper stuff which centres around trying to, you know, find enough rice so that their pregnant mother can eat. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this sort of harrowing little childhood picture thing set against a backdrop that make it all terribly real and is brutal and it's deeply unpleasant. And then woven through this is the historical account stuff which pulls back. And that's in a different visual register. It's kind of the stuff that's the Manhattan Project is more mm. clinical and draftsman-like. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that's historical is more precise but more in the cartoonish style. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that's Gen's life is loose and cartoonier. And they collide with this recurring visual motif of a kind of Japanese woodblock print style setting sun thing, which, which kind of ties it all together. It's kind of hard to explain the visual style because it's, it runs that spectrum and, this, this really fucked me off, actually. Spiegelman's introduction is not dated well. Really? He takes time out from his introduction to give a really fucking cloth-eared one- manga 101 to an audience. This is, I mean, admittedly, this is from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have a pop at, um, have a pop at Nakazawa's um, cartoon style, calling it kind of amateurish draftsmanship. And I was like, for, 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 like, for one thing, it's, it's not really massively, like, it's idiomatic, not inept. Yes. It, and there is this tonal movement of 
or styles that kind of hacked me off. But uh, fuck it, you're not speaking when you wrote mouse. You kind of say what you want in the eighties. I'll, I'll, I'll cut you a little slack. But yeah, so you, you get this. this I've, I've gone on about this for ages. I should probably wind this up. It's okay. But you get this fantastic build-up of very real lives and hurt and pain and capers and the kind of the running through the streets chart of capers with the ludicrously elevated stakes is this thing that adds a massive emotional diversity to it. Mm-hmm. The, it kind of it pulls you back occasionally. You do these sort of heavily ironized double takes. And obviously, as a reader, you have the ultimate ironic advantage over this family that you mm. know it's clawing towards 8.15. Yes. Like, it's, it's just... And they, they play with that with the ticking clock on the day of the bomb. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just... It, you, as you, as you, you know what it is when you pick it up and you're like oh this is jolly and a bit weird and a bit sad and the horrible mistreatment and oh but the childhood capers and then you forget halfway through and then you go through this cycle as you come pulling back as it reintroduces the Manhattan Project and the kind of itching progression of time mm-hmm. towards this and then the bomb drops and it's horrible and the loose breezy cartoon style stays mm-hmm. but suddenly it's people's faces melting and yes. the kind of wall shadows and everything being just just horrendous and again and his mother trying to rescue his father and younger brother from a burning house and having to leave them and watch them burn to death mm. and just fire being one of the biggest problems immediately afterwards yeah. well yeah considering the way the mm. cities were built and what have you it's just I, I I bawled my eyes out finishing that book. It it's partly the magnitude of what it represents, and partly the way that the it, the storytelling and the character work and that loose breezy style just mm. makes you kind of lulls you a bit, but makes you completely feel it. Yes, it's, it's sort of when the wind blows as well. Mm. That kind of application of styles we consider childish or playful onto topics that are more horrifying than can be contained. Yeah. And it it plays that trick a couple of times. So there's a scene, um, it talks about this, uh, the attacks on Okinawa uh, and people like throwing themselves off cliffs for the glory of the emperor or whatever. And there are these... Fuck the emperor. Breezy scenes with, child, with like children's dolls and things. And it... So you get these sort of panels with the lightly, kind of loosely drawn, sort of slightly cartoony characters, and then you've got the sun motif that, that creeps in. And then you whip over to people with landmines strapped to their backs jumping in front of tanks, and the equally cartoony and light and sound effecty sort of limbs blown off. And then, yeah, just parties of school children huddling together around grenades for the glory of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And this is just very light. The way it plays with the disconnects. Mm, yeah. It's one of the best things I've read in a while. Uh, and one of the most difficult. I probably haven't been very coherent about explaining it, but I think I think it's extraordinarily well constructed. And knowing what was coming, I saved up finishing it for a day I was feeling quite upbeat and cheerful and I still got through quite a bit of tissue. Mm-hmm. In the category of important but very hard to get through. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, look at how... Some of the double page stuff as well where it really pulls into detail. Mm. Yeah. Beth, again, there are... Six volumes. I've only read two. Goodness knows where it ends up. Um, it's harrowing, but it's wonderful. For some reason, I thought it was only two volumes. Well, I, I think I got that from the films, so they're presumably compressed or don't cover the entire story. Well, look, depending on... There's a fairly complete story in the first two. Do you know when you began working on it? Off the top of my head, no, but I could look on the flyleaf and... No, I'm, just, I'm sort of curious about the sort of the emotional distance that you need, even as a creator, you know, decades by the sound of it to even begin to. So it was some time after. On it. What happened was he um, he became a became a cartoonist, and in I think the 60s, 
did a short series in a children's manga publication or a publication that had a children's publication that had manga in it. I can't remember which. Called something like "I Was There" or "I Survived" or "I Witnessed It." It was it was something like that, which was a short, cut down kind of Hiroshima survivor tale, which I think is when he started writing about it. And off the back of that, it was suggested he do this. Mm-hmm. So I think it landed in the sixties, seventies. Okay. Yeah, it's early seventies. And I think the other one was mid to late 60s, so yeah. Less distance than you might imagine, actually, considering how horrifying it must have been. Mm. So my turn. I've been reading Notes by Boulay, uh, which is a collection of his webcomics. Is this the first English language? The first volume, yeah. Published by the delightful Soaring Penguin Press. Ooh, good name. There's a good name. What's the logo? Can't remember. There's not a penguin with a rocket if it's ass, I don't want to know. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, so I can't tell you. I'm not no, about to look that's up. That's actually butt, butt rocket penguin. Oh, butt rocket penguin, I'm sorry, they're, they're a bit edgier. They, very they different disease. Like 13, 17 audience. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not kind of, kind of not a lot to say about it. It's Boulay, if you've read his webcomic, you kind of know what to expect. And this is basically one year's worth. I think this is 2004, so mm. it's going to take a long time to catch up. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's just really lovely, just weird observations and sort of slightly off-kilter slice-of-life stuff. Mm. And it's interspersed with some more recent stuff, and so you can sort of see how he's developed. But if you like Boulay, and you want to own Boulay stuff as a book, book buy, the no- buy, buy notes. It's a book of Boulay. What was the translation like? Did you have anything I think it's his own. His own? Yeah, I think that it's his own from the site. Um, so... Yeah, it's an English buy. Also read um, Geis, uh, or Gaius, or Geis, um, G-E-I-S, which is a different spelling of the Irish word for curse. Um, which I mean, is that what it actually is? It is. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, mm. a Geis in, in folklore is, a, is a sort of like a, a binding promise, but it's a curse. So, like in... For example, like in the Kukulan story, he is, makes, he is put under a geist never to eat dog flesh. Mm-hmm. And he's put under another one never to refuse hospitality. So when someone oh says, boy. come stranger, sit at my fire, eat this delicious, delicious dog, he's fucked. Um, yeah. So it's always a way of, of bind, binding people to their fate, essentially. Um, and in this... It's specific as well. Yeah, it's there. super, super specific. Also, I, I like the, the Hegelian tragedy structure, though. Mm. I really love the, um, the, the, the... It's used a lot in the um, Charles Stross Laundry Files novels, mm, yes. where it's basically a supernatural NDA. <laughs> you can't talk about the shit that's under the conditions of the guy so you explode, basically. Mm. Um, you start believing from the eyes first, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a really lovely interpretation of it. I do like that. I do like but the laundry books. This is um, sort of an all-ages fantasy book. It starts with 50 strangers gathered into a room where they find their chieftain is dying. She's just sort of lying in bed with a witch at the, the base of her bed who um, finds a, a will which they all have to sign. Um, they all have to witness. And it turns out that this binds them to compete to be chieftain of this uh, tribe, village, area, it's kind of unclear. It all feels sort of like general Eastern European folklore sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense, it has that sort of look of the sort of illustrated Russian folk tales and things yeah. like that. Um, and they're all, their first task is that they have to get back to the castle by sunlight and they're all carried away magically and appear in different places. And they Random villagers, for the most part, not particularly well equipped to survive in the woods, and some of them meet grisly fates. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy, and they're then bound into the service of the witch. Um, and it's just, it's great. It feels like a sort of midpoint between young adult fiction and grim Eastern European folklore. Um, mm, sounds good. It's a, it's, a, it's a good note to strike. Um, and this is the first volume of three, so. It sort of it sort of dashes between all of these different characters, sort of slightly um, slightly ineffectual villagers, um, daughter of a nobleman who's sort of quietly observing, and then suddenly a tremendous badass, which is always nice to see, um, and various magicians and wise people of various stripes and cowardly pricks um, runs the gamut, um, 
It's just fun. It's no brow, so you know the, the oh, actual yeah. book is lovely. I was going to ask what it looks like, but given it's no brow, there's Beautiful. kind of a short spectrum. It's um, so it's it's not really like anything else of theirs I've seen. It's very very analog. It's scratchy, thick inks, a lot of the part, and then only um, sort of two or three colours per panel um, with some sort of spot effects, but. Ooh. But I'm getting extraordinarily thick paper with a really lovely high matte oh, finish yeah, gorgeous yeah. under the thumb. Of course, of course. And just beautiful cardboard bound and, and, and um, you know, spot glosses on the cover and just all of the nice stuff, cloth bound as well. Um, and it's, yeah, it has this really, really great style of its own where the sort of little, um, like there's so few sort of variants in colour within a panel. It looks like tiles when you open it up. Mm. Um, because it's a lot of very square panels, it never breaks out of that, but you have sort of big, thick, colour-coded chunks as you go through. Um, it's great. Like, if you like anything so folklore so like, Harrow County is a good example. It mm. probably skews a little little younger, it doesn't feel as complicated. Um, That's okay, I like that too. Um, it, it sort of feels a bit like that, like... If you've read Hellboy, you might enjoy And is Mercury anything like uh, that? Maybe, probably not a sort of, not a sort of character focus, mm. I would say. Um, it's quite light on dialogue as well. Um, it's sort of reminded me of Beautiful Darkness in that, mm. um, in that it's a similar situation where it's sort of dashing between a lot of characters who don't quite know what's going on. Um, it just it reminded me of Beautiful Darkness in a lot of ways, which is not to say that it's hugely similar. They're very, very different books, but um, it definitely felt like it was like a weird cousin to it. I liked it a lot. Good. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Mm. I'll be buying it. It sounds like a thing I would read. I think it is a thing you would read. Speaking of things you would read, uh, we're, we're sort of going in depth on the Broken Frontier anthology this week, which we've all yeah. read, um, which is unusual for an anthology in that most of it is good. Yeah, this, this surprised me. So, Broken Frontier are like us, but much, much better. Yeah, they're, they're like us, but, but, but trying, to, trying to do it as a job. Like actually bothering, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they write things on their site. They, oh, no. Yeah. We don't do that. Try hards. Tryhards is what they are. They're, they publish know, books and they do things. They're actually engaged and good. Competent adults, you say. Yeah. And they did a Kickstarter last year for their anthology, uh, which was very, very successful. I think it smashed its goals. Mm, indeed. On the strength of a pretty good video and some pretty good art and some commitment from some fairly startlingly interesting talent to contribute to it. They ended up making it quite a bit larger than I thought they were going to. Um, it was definitely meaty. It's, it's a big book. It's 300 pages. Mm. Do, do you guys have the hardback or paperback? No, I have the PDF. PDF. So I, I sprung from the, for the hardback on the strength of some of the art previews and because it just seemed like such a good idea. And it wasn't expensive as, as Kickstarter kind of things like that go. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Well produced. Uh, I don't like the cover but it's it's very iconic um but the whole thing has this has this sci-fi vibe it's 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 mostly sci-fi short stories from a, a huge range of creators and it's the highest overall quality i've ever seen in anthology yeah, yeah i, I agree with would that. agree i mean i'm a picky fucker so there was still mm. plenty that i didn't get on with but more higher hit rate than mm. I expected, certainly. I thought the biggest, the biggest kind of quality hit for me, we talked about this briefly at lunchtime, mm. was that quite often the art was excellent and the storytelling was fine. Yes. Adequate towards meh sometimes, mm. yes. But in, in, in places, wonderful. So I did, um, I, I was wittering on about the INJ Corbard bit at the end, the um, encounter at Omega, Point Omega. Have... Yes, Omega Point. Yeah, encounter at Omega Point, which is... Um, some of the more dense and sort of willfully equivocating storytelling in it. Mm. And that's, that's an absolute delight. I mean, it's, it's Iron Jacob Bard, so it's beautiful, right? Like, dude draws. Uh, and it's, it's maybe it's about 
a dying or nearly died astronaut, but there's this kind of motif of parallel stories and recovery of memory and stuff from the past. It, 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 yeah, it's just this wonderful, sort of semantically dense, elusive little thing. A lot more ambivalence in that than in quite a lot of the pieces. A lot of the pieces go in hard on, here's a fun premise of the twist. Yes, yeah, so as I wrote in my notes, fuck off with your space Nazis. Hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily the same thing. I mean, I don't know that it's the same thing generally. There might have been space Nazis. I'm backing down. You're just... I mean, again, it's not It's not uh, good well, audio, but you are staring me down pretty hard, and I'm quite intimidated. I'm not trying to. I'm just... Okay. This is my confused face. Which, which was the space Nazis one? Rabbit, I think, wasn't it? Or... Uh, I wish I'd brought the physical copy, but I couldn't be able to bring it in with me. Uh, which one was rare? Relatively near the end, and the, they, may, they may not have been space Nazis, they were some sort of. They might have been Nazi superheroes, but. Oh, uh, this one? Yeah, I was equally unimpressed. Oh, yeah, mm, it's alright, you know. The other thing I struggled with in particular were there were a couple of wordless or nearly wordless ones that I just couldn't read, but that's because my brain doesn't work right and there's no fault on the part of the creators. So did you, um, of those, one of them was my absolute favourite thing in the whole... Well, no, was it my favourite thing in the piece? It was... Was that one, Wave? Yeah. So there were a couple of things... Yeah, in I really that, liked that as a wordless one. So I, I absolutely adored the Wave. Um, I liked Dark Dark World, which is also Colin Bunn. Yes, no, I enjoyed that too. That um, was fun. I liked sort that. Of... And I was pretty keen on the Iron Jacob Bard one, but... Uh, and then Flyer, which it, it's it's a bit of a one-note joke, but I enjoyed Flyer it. Flyer didn't do it for me. I, know the, I saw you guys both um, put it down, but it just didn't... Again, arguably, arguably a one-note joke. But The Wave is, I thought, it's somewhere near the beginning, isn't it? Mm. There we go. Um, I struggle with wordless as well, I really do. I thought some of what was going on here was reasonably easy to parse, but the main thing about it was just... The light work in the art? Yes, no, the art, the art is absolutely beautiful. I don't deny that. And it sort mm. of... And it kind of looked interesting to me. The trouble mm. is I can't string any of those things together into yeah. anything that feels like a story. So this is... It's, it's on page 52. It's uh, Robert Samuel and The Wave. And it, all, all of the stories in, in the Broken Fantasy Anthology are, what, about six or seven pages? Mm. Yeah. They're quite short. They're, they're very clipped. Which I think might also be where some of the storytelling falls down. Yes. I think a lot of them, the concept was bigger than that space could contain. Yes, it's so, hard to tell it well. So Marguerite Bennett's piece was a particular casualty here. Yes, Which agreed. could have been much, much more if it had more time to breathe. Yes, it felt like the sort of, the narrative voice was just kind of careening out of control way beyond where yep. any of the setup or the visual setting was mm. getting you to. Now, the, the way it is this kind of, it's, it feels a bit... Lights, it, it's light-soaked post, I guess, post-apocalyptic, or mm -hmm. certainly something collapsy about it. Lady on a motorbike with all sorts of shit strapped to it, riding through a desert. Incredibly kinetic, the line work, the direction, mm -hmm. the perspective. And this sort of recurring motif of dappled light yes. that's just sumptuous. It's visually wonderful. And she periodically stops in this broken landscape to sound a tuning fork in order to find something, maybe water, maybe life, I, I guess, water. She's following seabirds, ultimately, and it's called The Wave. And it just... It's so crisp, and the colours are so are so wonderful. And every now and then it breaks things outside the panel boundaries, and, and again, recurring motif of seabirds, very clean focus on eyes and on perspective and on view. And then just this arresting set of final images of billowing out of a dust cloud. It's just a, a wonderful thing. I can't claim to know exactly what's going on with it, and it does kind of annoy me that it's hard to completely parse. But Whereas I guess for me it's more like it's a very beautiful series of images and I couldn't tell you what they mean. It I, just doesn't get... I read it as someone trying to escape inevitability. Yeah. I... Okay, interesting. So, I went with someone chasing maybe, but probably not real hope. Mm, okay. I got pursued by birds. I In real life? No. I kind of thought... I was a bit influenced inside my head once. Ouch. 
There's a kid in Athens just fucking picking pigeons up in the Parliament Square. That seems inadvisable. Who picks a pigeon up? Well, she that kid. did but... it. And then I was like, ugh. What a little dick. Consent, man. Consent. Can a pigeon consent? Probably not. No, I don't think so. I saw two of them trying to fuck each other on the lane, but they decided not to. I think the dance didn't go well. Mm. This uh, concludes the podcast segment about pigeons. Pigeons. I don't know. I went with. I guess I went with sort of chasing hope because of the some of the determination sort of imagery. But yeah, I sort of read that as perpetually trying to outrun it. This thing that's just going to be there. Yeah, perhaps that's completely plausible. God, it's a beautiful thing, though. Mm. What else did we like in here? So I. Uh, I liked um, plunder. Plunder, 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 plunder was my favourite. You fucking really? just love love a good boat, don't you? So, <laughs> no, fuck off with your boat allegations. So I liked it, but I didn't put it on the list because I thought it was a bit on the nose. It's the opening panel is one of the best kind of story frames I've seen in a really long time. Just it's good. That little setup right there. It's good. The 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 broken priest. And, yeah. Yeah. So this is somewhat like it's some kind of Vikings. Kind of Vikings. Well, they're Vikings, and they've they've encountered the sort of the people who actually first populated the Americas from the original mm. sort of post Greenland Viking missions. Mm. Um, who just one of whom is a priest explaining that he is so yeah, very very so fucking good. tired of serving the god they've made mm. um, in this place. Which and this horrible massive thing made out of gold and silver. Yeah, I mean it's like a big. I mean, the whole thing's kind of riffing on Conan the Barbarian mm. Mm. Um, in quite a big way. It's, it's like, got big derpy sound effects. So. That is um, that, that is basically exactly the same as the bit in the film where... I love where, that their god is man-spreading. Yes. Why wouldn't you if you're a giant fucking skeleton of bastard? Skeleton. But, I mean, I really enjoyed the art style as well. It's, it's quite yeah. close to some of that Cinebook stuff that I've been really enjoying recently. And just that panel of the... In a short priest guy getting yeah. speared in the face, face. at the point where his skin it, is stretching out on the other side, but it hasn't quite been punctured yet. It's like, oh, it's, it's, great. A, it's a wonderful piece of both genuinely grotesque and comedy violence. Also, it's one of the stories that fits most neatly into the space given. Yes, yes. This is this is Phil Hester, um, Daniel Warren Johnson, and Doug um, Garbuck. Garbuck. We can't do names on the podcast. We're not very good at names. I've got Garbuck. Which is an excellent name. If it is pronounced that way... Well done. Yeah, you sound like a bad guy from Green Lantern. That's got to be a lot of fun for the rest of life. No, it was, it was very well and tightly structured within the space given. It's got this nice visual trick of quite tight, not very regular, but quite tight panels. And then every now and then, not, not every page, but many pages, it'll bring one right across the gutters in which something particularly visual and spatial happens. Mm. I like that you're saying this while you're looking at someone being surprised by the sword going through their cheek. That's a really good It's picture. a su- a surprised face to having to go. I like the way the skin stretches away from the eyelid. That's, yes, that's brilliant. Fun, that's nice detail. Just like... It's been a very sound effect laden podcast. And while I don't necessarily approve, I feel like I've chastised you so much for, for doing stuff that's completely visual. I, I feel like I should almost be encouraging this. I okay, so I did enjoy it. I didn't list it because at the end of the day, it just like it, it felt like a. It's a fairly obvious twist. A sort of issues for kids, don't be greedy thing. I don't know. It, it was just, too cool to care if there were issues. It was really, it was really cool. It's beautifully done, but I just, it just. I almost preferred some of the ones where they were trying to do too much, and it didn't fit into the space. With all, I just they all tipped past my can't give a fuck filter, unfortunately. Mm. Which I think maybe calibrated too low in life. No, no, that's totally fair. It's 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 a joyous thing, and that panel, the, fi- the panel of the the final drowning dude, mm. just like desperately trying to reach the golden hoo ha. The golden yeah. hoo ha. That would be a good comic. Or a very unsuccessful curry house. Or peach-based recipes. Mm. Uh, I really liked flyer. Um, by Justin Zimmerman, Mike Lawrence, and Thomas Maurer. Which you were less keen on, the it boys. didn't do anything for me. But that's... I love the art style, primarily. Yeah. Um, really love the art style. 
I love the little old man, just the, the scritchy scratchy stuff. Mm. It's a bit monologue-y and Okay, but it's that panel, right? So it's got no other joke after that except when she shoots the dudes. Mm. So its its big deal is there's a guy monologuing about flying machines and war and what have you, and then eventually handing over a gun to someone saying, you know, you must brutally murder these fuckers, and it's like a five-year-old girl strapped into a primitive spit-and-store-dust jetpack with, like, big sad eyes holding a luger. And, yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of your thing. That's, that's kind of funny, and it's impactful, but... And then there are some touching bits, and it, it, it's not got a lot else apart from that, apart from that it's beautifully drawn, until she, until the panel where she's swooshing through the skies, and again, it's wonderful, you're over no man's land, it's the First World War thing. And then she shoots some dudes, and it's, uh, there's a bunch of horror. Or at least sets stuff. out to, yeah. We don't know if she actually does, and it's sort of, it, it, to me, felt implicit that she did. Definitely is determined to. Mm. But that also, that is a biplane, and, and she is a small child strapped to a jetpack. Yeah. Yes. The scene where she's kind of looking down at the trenches, seeing the horror at all, and becoming resolute is not is pretty good. Again, I found it hard to follow, but that's my pathology. Hmm. But I mean, I, you, you can pass this in a couple of ways. Is she unwilling to go and kill those dudes? Is she sad and confused and then becomes resolute? Does it flow the other way? You can, you can sort of, I, I think on balance, it's kind of building resolution. But uh, that's that's certainly how I went with it. Carried carried very strongly by some wonderful art. Yeah. Also, I'm a sucker for a jetpack. I do love the Rocketeer. Mm. Um, and a butt rocket penguin. Hypothetically, yes. I need to go back and check. Would you love that though if it was one? If it was a penguin with a rocket up its ass. Yeah. Yeah. Probably yes. I'm not. I'm just not as smart as I make out. I would enjoy that. <laughs> But this is, this is, I think this was the best of the, for my mind, the best of the way twist ones. Mm. Because it's really dark, it's a really dark joke. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there was some way hate twist and some of the other great stuff, so um, Dark Dark World. It's not quite twist, but um, Cullen Bunn and Nathan Fox's Dark Dark World yes. is this, like, badass skate girl killing a bunch of monsters. With a baby. It, With felt, baby. it felt like an issue zero for, uh, yeah, for, for an ongoing really, series. For a series I want to read the shit out of. I think it was the phrase, uh, they described her as a weird knight, um, which seemed like it was an order, the weird knights, hmm. um, who are apparently skateboarding, baby rescuing goths. Yeah, so she's this like skatey goth lady with an explosion of hair. And the art style's all jagged. It's, it's kind of Adventure Time in kind of the mm. If you like yeah. how those things look, you'll like this too. And the speech bubbles are jagged, and there's panels on panels and sound effects. It looks fucking amazing. She's all in fantasy land, fucking your shit up. On a skateboard. On a skateboard while saving a baby. And crap goes down, and it doesn't go well for her. And then, as you say, that baby was unusually pale. I think you've heard everyone's intriguing voice this evening. Everyone's trying to allure you with unusually pale babies. And then the little staircase and the... Oh, yeah. The back. And again, dappled light. I'm a suck for dappled light. Mm. But yeah, it turns out she's... Are we going to do it? No, no, we'll leave no, it for No, no leave it for it. people. But it's I, enjoyable. I, I really wanted this to be a series. Make it so. Well, Six Guns finishing soon. Mm. You can... Um, Email Colin Bunn and tell him to that's what he should devote his free time to. Persuade the bun. Yeah, let's um Hashtag persuade the bun. Okay then. Should we say something a bit more coherent about this rather than just gushing while I fumble my This is a good that's anthology. No, I mean this particular story, so like No, what, what no, we, no we're just, just trying to get people to read it. Yeah, we don't read, need to read the comic people. Like, without spoiling it or no. anything. I just I just think it's got You're done, you're done here. Really? Yes. But there's so much going for it. It's got this kind of lively, wonderfully overcoloured thing. And... They're all reading it right now. Oh, that's good. That's good of them. I mean, we we can spool through this and sort of gush about the wits be loved, and goodness knows I'm happy to do that. Was there anything anyone particularly didn't like in here? Yeah, there were. I I don't think there were anywhere I sort of went. Oh God, that's bad. There were a lot that I was meh about. I think Kismet was probably the one where I was close to this oh, is God, bad. Yes. Um, Why? And that was that. that was really just that I didn't like the artwork. I quite liked the idea as a sort of Tintin adjacent superhero comic. Mm. 
the sort of the story structure troubled me. I, there was a lot of sort of veering from one thing to another without really knowing why I mm. should be interested or care. Mm. Um, I did couldn't get on at all with Dyson Holmes either. That thing puzzled me. I didn't get on with Purgatory. Oh God, me neither. I love the art. It, well, I respect the art. the art. I didn't enjoy it. It's it's like I can understand why this is a good thing. It's not what I like to look at. If it had been about like psychedelic coyotes in that style, I'd have been there. Oh yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Can we make that? Well, we could ask someone to make it. Psychedelic coyotes. Yeah. Why coyotes in particular? Because they're great. The color palette reminded me of you sort of. Because they're a bit sort of orangey and white. You got some... you No, know, the kind of the black, red, blue. White. The New Mexico night, sort of. Yeah. I didn't, I'm going to say I don't know if we but I've seen others in the same style. Okay. To it. I didn't get on with Death Signal. I just thought it was a bit... But there was nothing... Like, like Mare was the, the absolute worst response I had, which I is really rare for... Um, I don't know why. Yeah, it was like, sort of a bad in a very good way. Yeah, and just creepy as balls. Yeah. And like the, I love the I love the like drippy cigarette distorted face landlady and then everyone's a monster or maybe they're not. They're and, very sort of sickly. And, and what the fuck is that? And, yeah. Oh, that's by. Um... So yeah, Quinn returns was uh, David Hine and Mark Stafford. And it's got this wonderful mm. cover of like a pulpy novel, and it's this guy mm. who might be a writer who seems to be stuck in a horrifying loop of maybe killing some folk. Yes. So they, they together did the um, adaptation of The Man Who Laughs that I was um, yes, yes, fond yes, of yes. a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, So it's that, that sort of style. Yeah. Um, oh, look at this shit. The inset great. panels and the, just his anguish. And I want to... I... When he looks at the girl and she turns around and that's her face. Yeah. Fuck. And then the, the weird so little great. ostrich fucker in fishnet stockings that's got his... Face just, and... but just this reveal right so, so yeah like page, butt in it. page 192 fantastic but I've always been an ass man yeah and just the, the weird dog face lady and the anguish and the <sighs> inevitability nice, and nice. the repetition and the yeah it's good it's got good good page composition as well mm. I like I like this I really like the just slight jagged asymmetry of the panel alignment mm-hmm. like that gives a really nice jar just, slightly drifting into something uncomfortable. Well, it's almost as if the page is falling apart. Mm. So the panels are aligned on an angle, but then slightly misaligned on the vertical and almost like they're itching to slip past each other in yes. kind of some kind of demonic overcolored Tetris. Yes. It's, um... Plus oh, God, and the flying ducks on the wall. Yeah. It, nothing says period thwarted like the, the three flying ducks. It's, um... What, what's even happening in some of this? No, it... There's some wonderful stuff in this book. Mm. There is. Um, I don't think I've ever come across an anthology that I would unreservedly recommend before. We are fucking gushing. We don't normally gush this much. Not collectively. Not collectively. But all of us found things that we would like. So anthologies are always good for finding like things that you wouldn't see otherwise from people that you don't necessarily find. They mm. are really good for discovery. Um, and there's a lot of people in this that I really, really liked. You've got some Nervan Skyver in there. Yeah. He does his thing. If you like his thing, you'll enjoy what he does with mm-hmm. it. He's got a new collection out as well. Has he? Yeah, a collection of... Uh... He's been publishing a lot this year. Yeah. I think it's it's a collection of his smaller stuff. Mm. Um, again, yeah, it's out again, of book. the sort of sickly, uncomfortable art style. Yeah. A lot of wibbly lines. We, um, you and I as boys both, we liked the beard. We did both like the beard. Oh, uh, was that Alison Sampson? It was. Um, yeah, I like her as an artist. I read some stuff as an image last year, and we saw she did some of the contributions to that um, Cities in Comic exhibition that we oh, went to. Oh, yes, 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 that was good. Um, so I handed this to um, Dave Barker, who's just started doing a comic. I don't know if you saw the preview page. I did. I, I liked it. I need to. It's called Friend Air- of the Show. It's called Heirloom. Yes, it happened when I was away. I need to check it out. About a little girl that finds a magic crown, mm-hmm. and shit happens. And that's all I know, mm. and he's a very good artist, and the preview page is a heck of a teaser. I don't know when it's going to start coming live. I think he's um, he's a bit of a perfectionist, so I think mm. he's doing a degree of panel fondling. But, uh, and building a buffer, most likely. Is he mm. going to web it, or is he going to try yeah, to Yeah, he's it? trying to build up some so that he can dribble mm-hmm. it out, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. It looks, um, it's called, uh, is it called Heirloom-Comic, or Heirloom-Comic? We'll put it in the show notes. It's definitely worth checking out uh, at the moment there's just a holding page there but it's um, it's, it's on its way 
But, uh, but yes, I, 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 was, I was showing him some of the things I liked in here. Uh, and he said it reminded him of some of the late uh, Sandman stuff. So uh, in particular, I think uh, the two touchstones were Game of You and the short story about Element Girl. Game of You, I can definitely see, particularly just because it's the sort of claustrophobic rooms. Yeah. And the, well, the colour as well. Um, colour and some of the shadow work. But yes, I, I, I enjoyed this tremendously. This is a sort of, it feels like it's a sort of slice of lifey thing about a, a lady who um, feels a bit down on her luck mm. um, and then wakes up with an enormous fulsome beard which grows back every night and regardless of what she does. Beard. And she's not wild about this. No. And she's not wild about quite a lot of things in her life. No. That's fair to say. And there's a twist, but it's not. It's awful. good. It's good. Just the sort of the, the end shot, just getting away with a fucking luscious beard. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wonderful. That's great. Like that is. And, and Woo! The, fuck you! I've got a huge beard. And the yes. big daft dress, and that's what I say to people a lot. You I do. don't have a huge beard though. I have a manageable beard. I would argue yeah. it's even petite. I love. I love the. Um, I love some of the detail work in it as well, like the mm. kind of the, the eye locking thing, and it's 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 sketchy and loose. It does a lot of interesting stuff with color and shading. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of rich purples in it. Yes. So it's one of the. It's got that idiom that again I think is um, is quite familiar to me from some of the stuff in some of their regular features, sort of Sandman artists of construing shadows as color shades rather than explicit darks. So there's a lot of shadow or interior at night stuff is is purples and reds. Mm -hmm. um, which again is layered all, all layered up together with indistinct other details to give kind of a focus point around the core characters and then a sense of claustrophobia in places. Mm -hmm. um, but just always this motif of the beautiful, beautiful, huge cascading beard. Oh, it's so wonderful. Trailing off panels and... In, in the way that you sort of lust after head hair that falls like that. Yeah. There is something kind of lustable about that beard. I also enjoy the big stupid joke. Yes. Well, there's lots of little sort of pop culture and culture references yeah. in there. It's one of the more kind of real-world aligned ones. That sort of red-blue-purple um, sort of gradient that you see on things that I've taken to thinking of is the, the James Stokoe effect, um, because he has it on absolutely everything. It's used to really good effect here, particularly in The Wall. I really liked um, mm. the artwork in that. Because that's very Paul Pope influenced, and I'm kind of a sucker for that. Um, the big scratchy manga esque stuff. I'm also a sucker for sound effects that are just ridiculous. Like great. So, well, for rapping for Gigagagat and this, but um, like, um, yeah, like Kevin Cannon sound effects where it'll just say things like dive quietly into the sea as a comic book sound effect. Have you um, watched Teen Girl Squad? No. The Homestar Runner short, they have a lot of ridiculous sound effects. Yeah, I, I know the one. I kind of, I I don't have time to go back and understand the jokes from Homestar Runner. Oh, fuck, it's, it's one of the more accessible ones, maybe. It, it, it sticks in my mind in the way that some few other items of media do, which given what it is, is kind of horrifying. But there's, um... There's actually something similar coming out. I think the trades just come out um, called Zodiac Star Force, which is about like a magical girl squad when all the monsters have gone away and they've kind of broken up and just have to go back to high school. <laughs> uh, that's so uh, okay, great. that's pretty cool. I haven't read that yet, but I'm kind of keen to pick that up. Oh, fuck no, that sounds amazing. So Broken Frontier then. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Do you have anything you wanted to point to? No, I've already done it. Uh, I also, I really like No Regrets, which I didn't expect to, given that it kind of rhymed. I opened it up thinking, fuck you, don't make me read your rhymes. But actually, I thought it was sort of... Which one was No Regrets? The guy it? who finds the glove, the time-travelling oh, glove Oh, yeah, and he's, he's proper skeevy. Yeah, but just sort of, it went into so much more detail on... You know, it kind of went way further through the consequences tree that yeah. things do when they're like, handling the same material. How would you begin to process that? And I really liked that. I liked the depth of the sort of construction. I like the slightly distorted art style of it and the sort of... It, it's very it's a very graphic designy piece. Mm -hmm. It's... There's... I, I can't 
pull the era it's riffing on out of my yeah out of out of my head. But it's a bit of Ghost World, isn't it? Yeah, it's very flat. It's very flatted, except when there are, there's action. The backgrounds are very flat. The colours are very flat. Um, almost jovial in its style. Mm. Um, but also just full of artillery, which is a yeah. contrast I really enjoy. Basically, this schlub finds a time travel glove and uses it to reset things, but keeps fucking up his life. He tries to perfect his life, and then when he realises there are basically no consequences, he just goes insane. And well, he's got his magic glove just kind of deep in someone else's flesh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice. That's good. I liked it. And just the mounting grotesquery of it is. Uh... And the inevitability at the yeah, end as yeah. well. It's great. I do like the um, Carrie Fransman one, the sort of photo yes. one. Oh, um, I, I expected to hate that. And I didn't. I was kind of flipping. Flip, flip, I was flipping through it and just uh, sat there and went, "That looks a lot like Carrie Fransman." Mm. Like, oh, it is. It is. That's a weird feeling. I, I just thought I should raise that. Better with it than I do stuff she actually draws. She has a very wide range of styles, though. Mm. I um, think it was probably just the house that ground that I couldn't handle visually. I like it, but it's busy, and, and I the, can. The cheeks just bother me. So um, her follow-up to that, um, which was uh, the follow-up's called "Death of the Artist," mm. and that's um, she draws as a series of different artists in that. Okay, interesting. Um, that's quite interesting. But that, those big, you know, can't sleep, clown will eat me eyes. Yeah. So it reminded me actually of uh, "Lighter Than My Shadow." Yes. So the way. Katie Green construes this the, the stuff that is both insider and outsider, but mm-hmm. both the kind of the externalization of her illness as as, as, as sketch work fuzzy, scratchy as a thing that trails out of yes. her and then pulls back into her yes. and becomes environmental. It reminded me of that, but in this kind of what it is is this like heavily shot, touched up photo thing. So mm. it's photos of of her um, with interesting digital overlay, yes. and these little creatures and stuff happening. It's um, Unsettling. Yeah, it's it's kind of creepy. Yes. It is also a good bit of Broken Frontier, which we recommend. Mm. Can I mention one more? And then I'm do, do. And um, so, as a sort of as a an enjoyable one pager, I really like Thirty Years of Service. That was the Box Brown one. Wasn't yeah. It? I like that guy. Yeah. It was just. It was. It packed in. It it did better storytelling in one page than a lot of them did in seven. And just packed in sort of a fields punch as well. I, so I, I met him in Toronto and bought his um, biography of Andre the Giant from him. He's done a biography of Andre the Giant. Is it a comic? Yeah. I need to read this. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I think the absolute highlight was when he's like, I've got a bunch of other wrestling comics. This one's got Ric Flair in. Do you want to read that? Like, Can't say no. <laughs> I want to, but I'm not going to. Was this the one where he thinks you're there for the wrestling and you're there for the comics? I'm there for the comics, yeah. I had a very similar conversation with Ed Pisco where I was really there for the comics, not the hip-hop. But, yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating that, that creators would see the main draw being their subject matter rather than the thing they've created itself. Yeah. I understand it, but interesting. I kind of liked the title payoff of the first one. Phantom oh, Puncher. yeah. Well, it's it, as it's, titles go, right? It's dumb, but kind of funny. It looks decent as well. I, the thing that annoyed me about it was the very explicit "Will he return?" Like, please hit us up for a sequel thing at the end. Mm. Um, yes, which I mean, given that his one gag was that he's got a Phantom Army that punch ghosts. But right, what I like is that it follows through. It's called Phantom Limb Ghost Puncher. And it's about a guy with a phantom limb that post punches ghosts. Yes. It's, it's, uh... But the, fan, the limb, phantom in the limb refers both to the, his phantom limb and to the new limb he gets, which is also made of some kind of ethereal substance. Yeah. So it's a really good pun on a phantom limb ghost puncher. I'm really glad you explained it because I had been struggling with the meaning of it for quite some time. And I didn't want to say anything again. I like to appear smart, but... And it's the cat what done it. In my notes, I called it punchy ghost punch. <laughs> Which is also a good name. That's true. Trademark you that shit. Save it and use it. Yeah. 
I remember when I was probably about... Is that about a punch that no, is a ghost that punches punches? No, or? it's different. <laughs> when I was probably sort of early to mid-teens, I had a poem published in like a local anthology of local school children's poetry. And somebody gave a copy to my great uncle who asked if I had made sure I'd copyrighted my poem. <laughs> Well, if anyone wants to steal Lucy's poetry, do not, because it is it is copyrighted as soon as it's created. Really, that's how it works. Don't steal her fucking poems. They don't exist anymore, so you can't anyway. What if they then did? What if you heard people around you? Ghost poem, ghost poem. Yeah, quoting bits of your poem that you knew you destroyed. That's actually not bad horror uh, thing there. That's copyrighted because I just said it, so you can't do that now. What if I do that now? Will you fight me? I will sue you. I'll fight me with lawyers. I don't think he's got lawyers. No money. I don't think I can actually, because I think given that this is a joint creative work, I think we own it equally. It would be very hard to sue you. Do I have a? Do I get a share in whatever IP you say into that microphone? You get to eat the guilt. You get to eat the massive bag of corn that we bought with our Amazon (laughs) monies. Reaping the rewards. Let's go read that now. Let's uh, let's pack it in. Everyone, go away. Buy the Broken Frontier it's, anthology. It's report just back really to us, good. It's and it'll, it'll set you back what, like 25, 30 quid. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's three hundred pages. There's a lot in it. It's you can't get it on Amazon. If you look for it on Amazon, it will just give you a bunch of clean Christian romance books about cowboys instead. Are you sure that wasn't just your recommendations kicking in? It might have been. I do. I, I know a lot you like of... a clean, clean Christian cowboy romance. I do. Yes, I think. Just a lot of manful cuddling. It, I think it heard me just being slightly down on your um, your sexy times Western centaurs, gay centaurs, sorry, and assumed that I wanted Look, something cleaner and more Christian. Hot and Blood less is a centaur. great comic. Hot Blood is genuinely good. We've gone off topic, the topic of which is bye. Bye. Fare thee well. Bog and denying mouth flappage. <laughs>